Welcome to the Latin American and Iberian Arts Home podcast. My name is Patricia Caicedo. I'm in Barcelona. And today we have a wonderful guest, a composer and pianist and a wonderful musician, Nicolás Gutiérrez. Welcome, Nicolás. Thank you so much, Patricia. Thank you for having me on here. I'm super happy having you. How would you like me to call you, Nico or Nicolás? Uh, either I I mean I Nicolas is a little more formal. I just prefer people call me Nico, but you can do so whichever. Nico. So for our <laughs> yes. friends who are here in I'm getting to know you, so you are Nico. So Nico, um I would like you to tell us a little bit of how did you start with music? You are a wonderful composer and you are here because you have composed some song cycles for the Barcelona Festival of Song that are beautiful. And I have some these song cycles, these songs that are beautiful. But for, before talking about that, I would like people to know how did you start in music and a little bit about your background? Sure. Um, I think it was kind of inevitable that I would go into music. Uh, my family is very musical. Um, my mother, she sings. My father is an orchestra conductor. Um, so I kind of just grew up always. I mean, I, my dad would pick me up from school and I would do my homework in the concert hall, you know, like listening to rehearsals. Um, so I think it was kind of inevitable. I really started getting into it when I started piano lessons. Um, I think I was seven around then. And then I started singing in choirs uh, in the Texas Boys Choir. I, I was a boy soprano for you a were very the long soloist. Time. Yeah, well, I, I guess I got a lot of solos. Um, and it was kind of a strange case because I maintained my soprano voice all throughout high school. How um, were you when you stopped singing as a soprano? Uh, 18, I think. Yeah, once I went to, uh, once I started my undergraduate, 18, 19, I think. Wow, that was late. Yeah, very late. <laughs> but so I you think you grew it, up singing. Yes, I I would attribute most of my musicality to my love of singing in choirs. I love choral repertoire, um, and it's just so natural, you know. I think that's why I like art song as well, and I I feel a connection with it um, because it's it's something that I used to do. And whenever I write, you know, I find myself singing the lines myself. And, you know, what comes a little more natural. And the breathing, all, all yeah. The Oh, yes, yes, because I've written a couple of things where the singers are like, you have to put a breath here. <laughs> and I know that from me complaining about other people's pieces. I'm like, why don't they let me breathe here? You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I need to breathe. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I maintained that actually so long because in the boys choir, it was part of uh, my school, my um, middle school, high school, and we rehearsed every single day for two hours. Wow, every single day? Every single day we had rehearsal. It was a class, basically. Wow, um, you were very lucky. Yeah, and I, I think I loved that experience so much. And I think that's how I maintained my soprano voice for so long. Because, you know, I was exercising every those day. muscles every single day. And then, of course, when I started undergrad, I stopped just because I wanted to try singing tenor. And like in a month, I think I started losing my high, high, high notes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. But one thing that we have not mentioned is that your parents are from Colombia. 
Yes, very proud that my parents are from Colombia. Um, and so and you grew up speaking both languages, English and Spanish. Yes, um, I grew up. I, I always joke that when people come to my house, I tell my friends, you're stepping into Colombia right now. <laughs> Because, I mean, my parents only spoke Spanish to me. Technically, Spanish is my first language. Um, when I started kinder or preschool, the teachers told my parents he doesn't understand what we're saying. Oh, poor it's, boy. He has yeah. problems of under language problems. Yeah, yeah. And so I had to go to uh, ESL, English as a second language, like um, before around kindergarten. And, you know, that's how technically English is my second language. But I feel like I speak it now better than Spanish just because I live here in the U.S. and I went to school, you know. You are like the people of in Catalonia who they grow up speaking both Catalan and mm -hmm. Spanish indistinctively at home and at school. So they become like very natural, both languages, like for you are these two languages. Yeah, they're very interchangeable, I will say. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I recently actually I just wrote a, a song cycle that made me think about being bilingual. Um, I wrote this art song for an organization here called the Lynx Project, and they took poems from uh, neurodiverse uh, children or uh, an autistic child wrote a poem mm -hmm. and I set it to music. And this kid, is, he writes so well, he can't speak. So he has a letter board where he, you know, writes, writes out his thoughts and his poems were about how he feels frustrated that he knows exactly what he's thinking. He knows the feeling that he's feeling, but he feels frustrated that he has to fit it into a word. A word has to- A limitation. For a him. limitation, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and his family is from Peru also. So he's also learning Spanish. And I felt a connection with him because I felt, I felt similarly in some cases when I was growing up that I didn't quite understand one language completely. I felt like I half knew Spanish, I half knew English. And there was a lot of areas where I was just very confused as a child of how to express myself. I think that might be another reason why music also came naturally to me. I just, I didn't have to think of any words. It was just sound. You said, you said language that is more expansive and more complete than words. Yes. Uh -huh. But that's interesting also from the neurological point of view, because I mean, when you are, when you grow speaking two languages, you develop uh, different pathways more than a person that only speaks one language. And it's beautiful that you can name the world, the same object, let's say a tree, you, mm -hmm. you, see, you see the object tree and you thinking, oh, tree, arbol. And there are two names for each thing mm -hmm. in the world. So it's yeah. more, more rich. Yes, exactly. And um, I don't know, it, it's, it's funny how sometimes if I'm at home with my parents, my parents also now speak English very fluently. Um, and they sometimes practice their English with me. So it's, it's turned into this Spanglish sort of um, way of communicating. Um, so it's very interesting when you like switch from one to the other because it feels, it feels one strange to me because it's strange to me when my 
parents speak to me in, in English, I think. Yeah, I, because I you grew up with them, them speaking in yeah. Spanish and they grew up only speaking Spanish. I mean, and also mm -hmm. it's interesting that people who have made um, research on bilingual kids or kids, mm -hmm. the emotion is connected with your mother tongue only. So when you connect a word with a certain emotion is because this, this is the, your modern tongue. And then the oh, other many other languages you can learn, you can learn the language and understand okay. the concept, but the emotion is not linked in the same strong way as with your mother tongue. Because that was the first time that you assigned a word to that emotion. Exactly. And also mm. it was linked with all the experience of a relationship with your parents or people who express love to you through words, mm -hmm. who introduce you to the world through that word. That's fascinating. Wow. Yes, but that's nice. And so you start singing and playing piano very small yes. and you sing all your life until 18 in this choir and then you started university. Yeah, um, I started university and I knew I wanted to do composition as my major because in my high school, I went to a fine arts high school. Where and was that? In Texas, Fort Worth, Texas, Fort the Worth. Fort Worth Academy of Fine Arts. Okay. And there, um, I think I was in seventh or eighth grade. One of the professors there um, wanted to start a composition program. And funny enough, actually, my parents were like, you've got to try it. You have to go. And I did not want to. I really didn't. Because I thought, oh, man, I'm already doing so much. I'm doing like voice and piano. Too much music for me. <laughs> um, no sports. No, no, no. I'm really bad at sports. <laughs> we are two now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I do like swimming though. I, I think that that's really nice. And you paddleboard. I mean, my paddleboard. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um, but yes, um, a professor wanted to start a composition program. I signed up and it, I thought I was pretty good at it actually. And my teacher kept encouraging me. Um, and you know, I would write and write just, you know, little things that I thought of. And the teacher was like, this is actually really good, you know, keep going. So that's kind of how I chose to do composition because for the longest time I was thinking, do I go to university for voice? Do I also uh, cello? You, know, you played cello? I played cello. I played cello for like three years, but that was mainly to understand like a string instrument. Um, but I do love the cello. It was very, I love that instrument a lot. Yeah, it is beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, but yes, I, I was struggling, like what I wanted to study voice, piano, uh, conducting. I was interested in going into that. But you seeing your dad yes. as a conductor, this role model. Yes, I, I grew up around it, you know, I and he gave me some lessons too, and I had opportunities. Um, I'm, I'm very lucky that he gave me opportunities to conduct his orchestras sometimes when I was in high school. Um, but wow. composition was the one thing that I felt more that it was mine. You know what I mean? I felt like all these other things, not that my parents forced me too much into them, but I felt like it was just another thing in my education, 
Whereas I felt like I found composition or it found me in some way. It was, you could put your essence on it. Yes, yes, exactly. It, it was something really special, especially like I, every composer will agree that the moment you hear other people performing your music live, that's the moment. That's what it's all about. That's you know? the moment. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I did my studies in uh, composition in undergraduate and that's kind of how this started at uh -huh, Texas Christian University. So who was your main composition teacher? Um, my first year I was with Dr. Robert Garwell. He's retired now, but then uh, the next three years I was with uh, Dr. Till Mine. Um, and he, I learned so much under him about just, uh, I mean, about because uh, my music at that time was very very simple you know very four four everything was just kind of you know basic chords he taught me so much about how you can play with time meter um why not change the harmony a bit you know there there aren't don't feel limited by what you know as the rules so know the rules to break them Yes, to be exactly. able to break them, to create your own. So, That's the same. So during all those times of formation, these years of formation, you also uh, premiere some of your works. So yes, with, with you actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my actually my first. Well, I mean, because I met you while I was at TCU, um, you came for the Latin American Music Festival. Yes. Um, And I met you and I said, oh, Nico, I yes. fell in love with you yet when I met you. It was love at first yes. I was working, I was volunteering for um, for, for the school and they, they told me, you know, okay, you're going to pick up Patricia, you're going to just, whatever she needs, help her out. And we just became really good friends. <laughs> I was the lucky one. Uh, Imagine yeah, that we... they would assign you other artists. I know, right? <laughs> we wouldn't we wouldn't be here today. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yes, I wrote the um, cycle for the was it the 14th? No, it was 2014. The 10th. It was 10 years. Oh my goodness. It was a very special year of the Barcelona Festival of Song because the festival mm. every year commissions a composer to write a new song cycle to be premiered during the opening concert of the festival. Mm. And that year for the 10th anniversary of the festival, it was, you, you were the composer. Yes, I was so excited. I still can't thank you enough for the opportunities that you give me with that. But I, I remember that was one of the first opportunities that I was super, super excited about because, you know, here you are with this well-known festival And like, I get the opportunity to create something that people will, will hear in Barcelona, which is a city that I just love so dearly. Um, yeah, it was it was a big moment for me personally. And the songs were so beautiful, Nico. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so explain us a little bit about the song cycle. Yeah, so that song cycle was, is called Nostalgias del Abuelo, um, which means um, the grandfather's... Um, nostalgia basically um and i based it that was my first art uh, song cycle that was my, my very What first an one. honor for me my goodness <laughs> uh 
I had never written for solo voice before. And so I was researching and like, oh, it's all about the text. Um, so I wanted to find, I needed to find some like really special text. And it's it so happened that that year, my aunt in Colombia was going through family journals and articles. And my great grandfather, he was the governor of Tolima, which uh, Tolima is the state where our families are from in Colombia. Um, and he was, a, he was a poet. And so he would write down his thoughts in, in these journals. And he had to go to Bogota a lot on business trips because he was the governor. And back then, um, you know, early, early 1900s, it was a long journey to go from Ibagué to Bogota, like mountains that you had to up and down, you had to camp in the middle of the road. So it's an adventure, I mean, it was, it was an adventure, really, for, for sure. And so because he was gone so long, he would send postcards to his wife, my great grandmother, um, with some pictures of the journey. And on the back, he would write a little note to her, little sonnets or poems. And so I found some of those and I thought this is what needs to be the text because it's it's got a very special connection to with my family and I wanted to do something that also you know had the there, there's a romanticism I think in Colombian culture but in there's a romanticism in your music also you in your that, what you maybe do maybe that's why I was drawn to it yeah yes <laughs> yeah for sure I I'm very influenced by romantic composers impressionist composers I think probably are number one for me Uh, just because I love the colors and the harmonies that from that era, it was just it's just so beautiful. So the, how many songs were those? Era what? Nostalgias del abuelo. Era nostalgias were three songs. Um, yeah, obsesión, regreso a Bogotá, and Esther. Esther. See, mm -hmm. sí, the songs were beautiful. So I had the the honor to sing these songs for this for the opening concert here at the of the Barcelona Festival of Song at Art Santa Monica, very nice place here in Barcelona. And Nico was here with his family. And we played with with Nico's Establas. Yes. Uh-huh. And those songs really are so beautiful. Those we need to publish those and record those songs too. We should, that's the next project. <laughs> that's the next project. That's the next project because these songs are really beautiful. I will Thank I you. will probably direct people to, there are in, in a YouTube video somewhere. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so people- Yeah, there's hear. a couple of videos. Yes. There, there, I think on YouTube, there's three singers have um, sung the cycle so far. Imagine. Um, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we, we these songs need, need to be more, spread promoted because they are so beautiful thank you yeah I, i i was really proud of that cycle i mean my first cycle you know, and also what part place. of the singer's perspective is interesting because you as you mentioned you can notice i could notice that you were a singer because you had in mind this breathing and the mm. spaces for the singer to to prepare for the next phrase and also It was very, you notice that you know the language and the the accents of the words, the syllabic accents of the words that are mm -hmm. always in 
in consonance with the music accent. So they were very well written. Thank you. I'm yeah, beautiful and nice to hear because the melodies are neo-romantic. So I, yeah, I think that's 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 probably the word for it. Um, yeah, especially knowing the language was was great because I, you know, we, we come across every now and then songs where like something is stressed and it, it just sounds a little off, you know, like it makes sense with the melody, but with the language, it doesn't quite fit. And I think an art song, really the text has to be number one. Yes, that's very important because we are all working, I mean, the composer and the performers to enhance the meaning of the text. So the mm -hmm. word is the most important. That, that word that is limited for your um, autistic friend, Mm -hmm. That is that limited, but that that's the the frame that the word is the frame that yes, we have. Yes, exactly. That's what we have to work with, and we have to heighten it, you know, um, and maybe bring out other meanings that could that one word might not express completely, you know. As as we know, words can be very limiting, and I think music has the ability to go even deeper in there, and that's that's what makes art songs so emotional and like deeply moving is because you you have the words and this music that just create an even deeper connection and assigns more meaning to us this is like two very powerful languages mm -hmm. word and music together imagine it's like a earthquake yeah <laughs> exactly so um uh, you also have composed some choral and orchestral works Yes, um, part of that was, I mean, I, maybe it's because I grew up surrounded by an orchestra. I, I played in orchestra also. I played cello in orchestra. I played piano in orchestra um, and choir. So I, I think it was because I was in these two ensembles, I wanted to write pieces for them. Um, and so, yeah, I, I did a couple of those. And then for my master's, though, I kind of went put that aside for a second and I wanted to explore a little bit more of like the world of media. And so I, I did my master's uh, in film scoring. So to learn some more contemporary languages also and tools. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Another reason was just because I, I mean, we, we grew up, I grew up in an age where just media was so present. Um, and there, there's some beautiful songs in movies and, and TV shows that, you know, I was just very interested in how can I be a part of that? Because those were, I mean, if you think about it, movies and TV are kind of our version of current opera, I think, okay. or as the popular of today. As, as popular as opera was in its day for the people as the main form of drama and media, you know, today we have it on our screen. So when, yes, for example, when you this music of Morricone, for example, that mm. everybody knows is part of the popular culture because it's come the soundtrack of the life of everybody. And mm -hmm. it's very nice how the music of a movie sets the emotional tone, tone of yes. of a certain no say scene. If the music adds more than fifty percent of what is happening is it can change how because what the music does in a film it's 
it, it tells you how to feel as the viewer. That's what the music does. Because you can see something on screen, but it can change completely from like a horror, you know, scary moment to like a really exciting action moment just with the music, depending on what you play with the image. That's it's really powerful. From the neurological point of view, also how we respond or how we associate certain emotions to certain chords or certain mm -hmm. scales or modes. Exactly. Or instruments, you know. Or instruments. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or now the favorite is like really high piano, just like, oh. you know, all of a sudden people get, you know, <laughs> very scared because that's just, it's become, it's been used a lot and now we associate it with that. So we learn to react to certain mm -hmm. ways. So it's, this is also socially constructed, train it. It is. Mm -hmm. Very much so. So I, it's interesting to think how probably it, this is not universal because in certain cultures that they are not linked with our media or our the mm -hmm. Hollywood movies, probably they have other codes, musical codes to express this thing, this stress I'm or sure, fear yeah. that we. So you were in LA. How was? I was it? yes. Uh, it, it was good. I I learned a lot in in Los Angeles about. I mean, just the movie and media like industry of how how it all works. You know, how do how do you help out? How does the music get on the screen? Who makes the decisions of like, man, eh, that was a little too long. We're gonna cut the video by like a second. Now you have to change the music to fit. You know that cut. Wow. Um, yeah, and the deadlines are so fast. The turnaround is very quick. There were many times where I was you know, like my, my main job in LA was to prepare parts and scores for recording sessions. I helped out a lot with that and orchestrations. And there were many times where, you know, uh, the director changed his mind last second for something and the recording session is the next day. So oh, no. hurry, hurry. Uh, so and, it is know. not time for waiting for the muses to come. Did you? No, no. You, you have to go, you, <laughs> you have to go because there's a lot of money writing on, you know, recording sessions are really expensive. And one of my main jobs was to make sure that everything was written very clearly, because if a musician has a question because something is notated a little strange, it's time. That that's time. Exactly. That's a question that's taking away from the three hours that they have to record. It's so know. stressful. That was yeah. that world wouldn't be for me. I mean, because I would feel like this pressure. It was a lot of pressure for sure. Um, I, I'm not doing a lot of that anymore just because it, it, it was a lot meant, it was taxing for me mentally, but it was very fun. I will say it was, it was quite the experience. And um, I learned a lot about how, how quickly I can write. That's, a, a, a nice um, skill that I have now. <laughs> um, and also just my journey into media, what I learned a lot about just how to use the computer to amplify my music, how to use electronic elements in to include in film or works. live uh -huh, music. Mm -hmm. Also to be, I imagine, to be consciously aware of how the emotions could be triggered with certain 
techniques and things that probably mm -hmm. you when you are composing ah yes it's waiting for the music to come some people are not thinking in that consciously but now that you know that yes i could what emotion I'm looking for, or what I want the people, the audience to experience X or, or Y. Mm -hmm. No, you're <laughs> you're completely right. And a, a lot of I will say a lot of composition, we can't a lot of times just sit around and wait for the inspiration to strike us because if we did that, we wouldn't get anything done. I don't <laughs> think we, we'd have very few pieces. Um, you know, just like any instrument or um you know that you play you have to just sit down every day if you can I, I try to but it doesn't happen a lot but i try to and you know just kind of exercise your writing brain you know like what am i gonna play what's gonna come out of me today do i like it maybe i'll wait until tomorrow and see if i like it or start over and that's you kind of have to do that to keep writing and that's how you progress your writing too if you just wait for inspiration you're very limited by i mean that's a lot of time that could yeah pass it's como who was the one who said that the muses come to me when i'm working como las musas me encuentran yes. trabajando <clears throat> that's exactly right um yeah but, well because it, it triggers the brain is fascinating but like once you're actually doing the act once you're writing then you start thinking about all the tricks of like okay i wrote yeah, I guess even in literature, you write a sentence. How can I, I can mix that around. I can um, elaborate on just this part right here. Maybe this idea needs to be shorter or more emphasized. Take these you words know, out thing. and this. Yeah. It's, it's also a lot of, uh, it's rational, a rational process for creating mm -hmm. something that seems that is pure emotion. Yes. It's a <laughs> lot of putting out something, content, and editing, you edit so much. Hmm. That's very mm -hmm. interesting, Nico. And um, then going back to the song, mm -hmm. song, your relationship with song in 2019 is that you wrote the yes. cycle. So uh -huh. since Nico's uh, art song cycle was so successful in 2014 <laughs> and everybody loved it, loved it. Uh, so he was invited again in 2019 to create another song cycle, but this time was a song cycle in Catalan. Yes. <laughs> so that was a, a challenge, but it was a beautiful challenge because the poets, I mean, I have um, good friends who are poets, but this specific friend whose name is Carlos Duarte, he is a, a Catalan poet a very well-known, respected Catalan poet, who a beautiful human being, who writes beautiful poems. So um, I said it would be nice to have a song cycle with his poems, but it happened that not long ago, a friend of Carla's, another one of the greatest poets of the Catalan poetry of the 20th century, Mario Sampera, had died in 2018 and they were very good friends, like siblings. Mm -hmm. So we said, oh, why not to do a song cycle with the to honor Marius and this friendship? So a song cycle with poems by both of them. So I put yes. in contact Carlos with Nico. So what happened there in this encounter? I I mean it was 
It was such an experience because it's a very beautiful story. Like you said, um, Carlos contacted me and he said, you know, I just wrote, I finished, um, it was a book, I think that he sent me, um, and full of poems in, in Catalan, but very nice. He sent me the Spanish, um, or, or Castilian translation. Uh, so, so that, cause, cause I, I don't speak Catalan. Um, I, I can kind of understand what's going on, but you know, to get a better understanding, I needed the translations. Um, and from there, I picked, you know, a handful of poems that I thought, oh, I, I, I might want to put music to that. Um, and then you sent me some poems by Sampera. Mm -hmm. And I, same thing, I, I looked through poems and I picked a couple um, that, that I thought were, were very beautiful. There was one particularly that you, was one of your favorite, I think your favorite poem by Sampera. By Sampera. Yeah. Mara no amreñis. Mara no amreñis, yes. And, you know, as soon as you explained to me and I read the poem, I thought this has to be a song in the cycle. Yes, because I mean, there was a record, there is on the internet, there is a recording of the poet Mario Sampera before he died, uh, reciting this poem. And it's incredible how it's, it's, it's a little kid asking his mom, not to tell him off. Mm -hmm. So it's very playful. It is. It's, it's very like there's a childlike spirit to the song. And then there's a twist at the very end. You find out all along um, this child was saying, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. And then at the end you say, it's not my fault that I grew old. Yes, that I'm now an old person with a cane or something. Mm -hmm. So you suddenly are like struck by this fact that, oh God, it's an old man. It's an old, old man that, that still has mm -hmm. in his mind these memories of when he was a child and all this. We we continue being a child inside until we are ninety. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So I mean, I, I included that. Um, and I, I, it's good that you mentioned the recording that exists of Sampera reading uh, the poem. And I thought, you know, so since he passed away, what would be a way to really, you know, have him be more a part of the cycle? We have audio recordings of him. So I took some of the audio clips and put them to be performed with the song live. Yes. And that, that's part of your influence of your movie training yes. with using all these things so that this makes this song cycle so amazing because it's it's contemporary is it modern new only could be done in in the 21st century but at the same time is neo-impressionistic it has this beautiful melody so it's this combination of many elements and now i'm with the book here you have the book yes <laughs> because this song cycle was published in 2020 mm -hmm. so singers of the world so you know that this song cycle is published and it has ipa for the ones of you who don't know catalan language and also it has translations into english for the poems and also all this explanation of how this this cycle was born etc etc i think i think the most one of one of the most uh, helpful things about that book is the the IPA for the Catalan language because 
I feel like, you know, not a lot of singers know about songs in Catalan. You know, I didn't for sure. And I needed, um, uh, oh, I, I asked if, if I could get recordings of, of you or Carla's um, reciting the poems in Catalan so that I could hear the natural inflections of the voice, what to stress, because that gives me a lot of information on what I should uh, emphasize as part of the word. And you did a great job because when I was singing these songs, it's like Nico spoke Catalan because <laughs> the rhythm of the language, the accents that you put in the word, the musical accents were exactly going together with the, the syllabic accents of the word. Mm -hmm. So you really capture the essence of each word and also the spirit of the poems. Mm. So that you are really a great composer for voice because you also you capture all these subtly subtleties and the, mm. the meaning, the, the meaning of the poem. So and you, you can yeah. see, see Nico, realmente increíble. <laughs> Because yeah, for me, for me, the, the, I mean, the most important, like I said earlier, is the text. And since I didn't speak the language, you know, I, I had to kind of look at it a little more and think, uh, what is the meaning of this? What is the main message here? And I think that really helped me, actually. Maybe it helped that I didn't speak Catalan. I don't know. But it, it helped me fo focus more, I think, for sure, on like the message. What is the overall message of this poem right here? So when I yeah. sent you that poem, I remember thinking, this is a difficult poem to set to music. San Pedro's poem? That's uh -huh. San Pedro's poem. I said, this is a challenge for any composer because it's, it's the, the little child, the old person, all the things that are going inside the mind of the narrator. So it was complex and you really did it great. Thank you. It was fun. That was a fun song to write. Also, when the his voice that is very, like very yeah, deep powerful voice. Deep powerful voice appears. That makes a, an impression on us as performers and also in the audience. Mm -hmm. But yes. also, there the, there was another poem in which uh, in which you other song in which you added electronic elements. The Navigam Intrasomnis. The first song, yes. Yeah, because that poem, well, okay, so so th there was a challenge to this cycle in that all of these poems were so beautiful, but I kept thinking, how am I going to connect to them? They're, they're all a little, the thing that they have in common was maybe nature, water, space, humanity, um, and, but I was thinking, like, what, 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 how can we tie this together? Um, the, the first one that you mentioned that has the other electronic elements, that one is talking about the stars and um, how we're navigating through life. Um, like, we're navigating through our dreams. Or that's the second one, actually. But the first one is we, we will reach for the stars. We will reach for our dreams. Sí. And so I thought, you sí. know, that's another. Uh-huh. And so, you know, again, maybe that's my my film background came into this, but I thought, you know, I have to have some sort of synth there to create a very open sound. I wanted, and especially since it's the opening of the song cycle, I wanted it, I wanted to create space. Um, and so I, I added a couple of synths in there and a recording of ocean sounds. 
See, and that was very mysterious. And what do you think if we let people to hear a bit of this song? Sure, of course. So let's play for it a little bit of which one you do you prefer? Uh, I mean, we hear. can we can play a bit of um, the the opening Kujirem just to, Kujirem to hear the So let's hear Kujirem Alcestels. Uh, Patricia Caicedo is singing and Nico Sestablas is playing and song by Nico Gutierrez. <laughs> We just heard Cujiremals Estels by Nico Gutierrez. So now we continue talking about this song cycle, Nico. 
Yeah. So you heard the opening of, of the song cycle, you know, creating space with the sounds of water and the synth. The next song, Navagem. Uh, Antrasomnis. Um, yes, I, I'm very bad at the pronunciation, but yes. Um, but very good one, at setting them to music. <laughs> thank you. Um, that one was that one was very beautiful text by uh, Carlos about we we go through life navigating through different dreams, you know, and that really resonated with me because we do, you know, I, I feel like in life, we're always looking for the next thing to add a little more meaning, I think, in our life. And so we're always chasing that next dream. And if you think about it, you know, our life is like a little map. I was here. Um, it could be geographical, like my life, I, I wanted to do film. So I went to Los Angeles. I studied in Chicago first, then I went to Los Angeles. That was me navigating through my dreams. And we all do that. And also he said in the in the poem, but uh, ans preguntem qui som, and we ask ourselves who we are. That's the const mm -hmm. constant question we are trying to answer. Yes. So that, I mean, I loved uh, the meaning in that one. I believe the third one was... Um, Mara. Mara, okay. Mara and, and, and we talked a bit about Mara in and this movement was really fun and a little difficult to set to music, but I wanted to capture that childlike energy. And so the piano, uh, forgive me pianists because it's a little difficult to play, <laughs> um, but I play a lot with meter and just changing to make this like sort of hiccuping rhythm. And it was hard for the singer also, this counting, changing in meters also, it was hard to be precise. Yeah, so, but you did a great job. You and Nikos both and did a I, great and job. And I enjoy it very much. <laughs> we can let yeah. them hear a little bit of this song also. Like, so that's yeah, it. let's hear it. So, I mean, you can play just a bit, but mainly it starts high energy, like, because you think it's a child. And then slowly throughout the song, I start, you know, putting the tempo down and down. And at the very end, it's this slow ending to kind of mimic that, oh, we found out it's actually, we've aged, where it's actually an old man speaking to us. And the voice of him appearing, mm -hmm. like coming from the beyond. Yes. Yeah. Let, let, let's listen to a bit of it. So let's listen.
cabanes trencades per terra, tot fet malbé. Fill, no tens remei. Mentida, mare. Mentida, mare. Sempre aquell, mare, el mateix que et va desfer el llit, el pare grans, el dimoni pelut que ens roba la força i la bellesa. Just heard Mara no Amreñis by Nico Gutierrez. Yes, that I like I said, that was that was a really fun one to write. Um there and there's two more songs in the cycle. One, uh, the next one Cap is Vespera. Uh, Cap Vespera, which That's is so the beautiful. Sunset. That one was very um I, I think that one's the most romantic song in the cycle for me because I just kept Carlas is so good at just in his writing at taking you to that moment. Like I could picture myself on the beach in, in Barcelona, watching the sunset. Um, Describing like landscapes, mm -hmm. painting with words, the landscapes. The the waves foaming like champagne glass. Like, it, it was beautiful. Like And you know, when I was studying the songs, mm -hmm. I used to study here at home in my living room, closing my eyes. And while I was singing, I was seeing all this landscape he was describing as if I were inside that, in this rock, looking at the landscape. Yes. So that one was, like, I think it's the most romantic one in there. Yes. And the, um, and the final song. Wow, that final. The final song was, I mean, it, it came about really last second. But I think this was the missing puzzle piece that you and I were looking for, um, because I, I asked you a lot of questions on like, you know, do you think these all go together? Because I, so far, we just kind of picked two poets that we really like and some of their poems. But how are we connecting them through this music? And then you messaged me one day and it was I was like, like, ah, that's it. Because the story, I was having lunch with Carlos. Mm 
and he he said he was that day was very touched and emotional and he said oh patricia i went he he's in charge of the papers of mario sampera so he was going through his papers and he found a paper a little paper that it says like eh, i am alive and you eh, let me that the the translation is right here um, I am a, I am alive, and you. I asked you because we haven't communicated for days. Keep this note in your most secret corner, so that its me its meaning does not fade. Sign it, the friend of the heart, or your friend, your heart's friend. It's very powerful. <laughs> and in this little note, it was written by hand the name of Carla. So Marius have written this note that he never sent it to Carlos and Carlos found it after his death. Yeah, when almost they, like a message from the beyond, you know? The day we met for lunch. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you, you sent me, I think, a, a picture of the note or... Um, sí. And... And, and and we both were like, this is it. This is what th this is what the cycle is about. It's about the friendship and love between these th these two friends, th these two great artists, poets uh, of Catal of Catalan culture. Um, so the the cycle is tying the two together through their works. But at the end of the day, it's reflecting this this beautiful friendship that they had. Yeah. So that's the title of the song cycle. Mm -hmm. Sign it, your friends, your your. How do you translate it? Your uh, your heart's friend or uh, your heart friend, the, the friend of the heart mm -hmm. of the friend of the heart. So that's the title of the cycle. Mm -hmm. So and this yeah. song you did it in in a such beautiful way because it's it's short, but mm -hmm. it's like the note is, but it closes perfectly this whole thing like gives unity as you said yeah I, I think i wrote it in in a day I, I wrote it in like a day then i notated it and sent it off because I, well yeah, yes it's short but it just it came so naturally and i i thought this is what's missing this is what we've been waiting for basically so it, it just kind of came to me I, I sent it over and then i i tried to sit down and mentally you know like listen through all of the songs and that last one just really ties it all together for me. It makes the cycle for me. Yes. So that was kind of magical. So because mm -hmm. we felt the presence of Marius coming and chuk, sending us this note to round this, mm -hmm. this song cycle that is so beautiful. And I have to say to the singers who are watching this, that the song cycle not only is published, but it's also recorded and is available for mm -hmm. free on spotify so yes. you can hear it and sing it and you have some reference for the language the pronunciation etc we recorded in barcelona i si. love any ex any excuse i can get to come over there i <laughs> i take it <laughs> you are always welcome nico thank you <laughs> and we i'm sure we will continue through all our life collaborating and doing things 
Yes, because well, because I I always say this to anyone that when I talk about you, you are doing such important work, Patricia. Everything that you do in promoting, you know, Iberian and Latin American art song, it truly is an entire treasure trove that I think singers are either unaware of, they don't know about, or in school maybe they're taught that it's maybe not worth diving so deep into because there's these other things that they're told they need to study more. Yes. Or people sometimes, I don't know if they are afraid or could be that new too, things maybe. or they are lazy because it is more, it takes a little, demands a little bit more of effort to do things that are different or new. But I think it pays off. Therefore, mm -hmm. because this is music that is so beautiful and also the audiences they want, they are yearning for new music, hearing new yes. things. We need more yeah. works by composers like Nico. <laughs> yes, we, we need more Latin American, I Iberian composers because um, there's so many of us out there. And I think, I, I don't know if it's this sort of cultural, like we have it ingrained in us that like, we can write stuff, it's nice, but it, it will never be, you know, Beethoven or stuff like that. And, and that's not true. You know, like what we write matters and yes. the world should hear it. It should be it should be placed on a platform and given just as much a chance. It's true. And you know that two days ago I had the, I was lucky to go to hear um, Joyce Donato. I told you. Mm -hmm. She gave a wonderful concert starting with Haydn, Mahler, oh god, this Mahler was amazing, Handel, etc. And suddenly at a certain point she changed and started singing some um, American standards, U US mm -hmm. standards, Duke Ellington and these people, and she blended that into the concert program. And I was, mm -hmm. and it was great, and it connected with the audiences and she present this diverse um, spectrum, open spectrum of what music is. But what I was thinking is that in the same fashion as the in the 19th century, the canon or the music that became the canon or the music was mm -hmm. the one, the music that came from the centers of power of the time, the ones who imposed their aesthetic models. The, the ones who have colonies, so Central Europe imposed their aesthetic models and the rest of the world accepted and adopted as natural that this is the music. So now, even right. centuries after, this is the canon. But what is happening now is that the power of this time is the US. Mm -hmm. So it feels natural that the music from the US is becoming the new canon and is acceptable to include it in concert programs of old canon with new canon and it's acceptable but we don't see it as natural we wouldn't see this as natural or normal if she would be including some latin american uh, or iberian songs hmm. popular songs no we that would be more suspicious because those are not the centers of power not because the music is not as good right. it's because we are not the ones who impose the aesthetic model. So I would like people to reflect about that, to think that is the same, it's natural, it's the same thing and say natural, equally mm -hmm. natural.
to include a song by Duke Ellington that included a song by, bueno, you are US composer also, but, uh, and Nico Gutierrez or Jaime León or Guastavino mm -hmm. or Falla, I don't know, but it would be equally correct yeah. and acceptable. And I I was, I, I, that's very interesting that you say that. I was thinking just now of, we recently just came out of the Christmas season. And I was thinking like every single year, the Christmas, the most popular Christmas songs, I think, are, are the ones from like the 1950s here from the US, the you US. know what I mean? And they're played everywhere, you know, as like the Christmas songs. And we still hear them today. Um, And I, I'm wondering, I, I think what you said, you know, is is the point there is that I think at the time, you know, especially the 50s, you know, the US was coming out you know, as this great his victory in the world war. Um, and they were kind of the center of media. And to Movies, this day, they kept, mm -hmm, they kept building on that. Mm -hmm. Everyone record. knew American media. US so media. now you go to a store in Bogota or in Barcelona and you hear... Jingle bells, jingle, or Frank Sinatra singing uh, or Bing Crosby, or you hear mm -hmm. the same songs in Bogota, in New York, or in Lima, Peru. Yeah, you're right. Or in Barcelona. This is the new canon. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's just fascinating. Like how it it makes sense because of I, I guess it's the spread of influence, um, but what you're doing and what we're trying to promote, I think is, is, is important now that we have the internet and we can share anything. Um, we have this platform and people are curious now, I think more because there, I feel like people today are a little more open than they were in previous generations to new information. Um, and I think it's the perfect platform to share this uh new music as opposed to you know keeping we can't keep teaching in schools this imperialist colonization uh you know form of like what is important music what should we study exactly so thank god we have all these now the, all these tools to to expand not to deny these the music coming from the right power centers but to to expand it Mm-hmm. To expand. Yes, exactly. It. So Nico, um before we uh, we end, what are the next projects, next dreams? Uh the, the next dreams I'm chasing. Uh, um currently, well, I, I'm writing a, a song for a choir in Minnesota, um, by a poem by Alberto Rios. And it's the poem is very beautiful. It's called We Are of a Tribe. And the poem talks about like, no matter how different we all are, we all share the same sky. We all have dreams. We all work to make those dreams come true, regardless of, you know, our, our political standings or like, we shouldn't be building walls to keep people away. We all share the same sky. Beautiful. So the, the, it's, a, it's a beautiful poem. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the next one. And I'm applying to get my doctorate, my doctoral degree, actually. <laughs> oh! Yes, so I'm still waiting to hear from schools. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of the next chapter in my life, I think. And it's something I've wanted to do for a while. So the school that finally 
accept you it will be lucky to have you my god oh, i will you. be fighting to have nikos in my <laughs> among my students thank you so much it's true and so do you have a website nico yes if you go to nico gutierrez music.com um i have most of my music on there um some sheet music for sale as well um You can contact me if you'd like to collaborate, you know. You have an Instagram account. I have an Instagram. I, yeah, what is Instagram, your Instagram? YouTube. Instagram is uh, Nico Gutierrez Music. Nico Gutierrez Music and Nico mm -hmm. Gutierrez is a very good friend of the Barcelona Festival of Song Family <laughs> and a very good dear friend of mine. I'm lucky. So before ending this program i would like to remind you that this program is brought to you thanks to the support of the barcelona festival of song a summer program for studying the history and interpretation of the latin american and iberian art song repertoire and also is brought to you thanks to mundo arts the publisher of these books of latin american and iberian art songs and also thanks to the support of the center for the iberian and latin american music of the university of california riverside so i invite you for next week next wednesday where we will have a wonderful guest and please subscribe to our podcast and itunes spotify or on youtube to the video podcast muy bien amigos, hasta luego Nikos, despídete en el idioma que quieras. Muchas gracias thank you so much for having me on, on the podcast it's always, I love talking to you in our conversations. Ay, me too Nikos, I love you. <laughs> love you too Adiós Adiós